on this episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. Oh my god, it's a shark! Wait, oh, he likes ice cream! No, it's about the Pokemon! I like the world of Warcraft. Hey guys, you should go on Royal Road and check out all the cool books. Oh, and you know what? By the way, we're also talking about the scientific method. It's not even a real scientific method. It's a method that Andrew just made up. It's in his head. He wanted to share with us. So, put on your little peeper ears and listen to what we got going on this week. Check us out. Game begin. Let's go. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his marketing level? It's over 9,000! What, 9,000? I must be using crowdfunding nerds. Amazing. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined um, by Sean and Rick today. Wow. Woo-woo. SEO Kingpin Rick. Because you did Kingpin. a Kingpin cosplay <laughs> one time. It was so badass that um, he's SEO Kingpin now. And I've so. only done it once, and I don't know if I'll do it again. It was a one-and-done one thing because I don't cosplay. Hey, we got a picture, and that's all that matters. So We'll have to put it on the cover art for the next episode. <laughs> no joke true true that so uh so yeah here we are and um now i wanted to get into so like so the 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 theme of this episode is could be called the way my brain works um but it's it we're going to discuss the scientific method as it applies to marketing because that the the methodology is how i in my head try to diagnose problems and work things out and uh solve problems with I mean, marketing related and just as a general business person, um, it has been so valuable to me over the years that I think we should probably talk about it. So um, here we go. But first, before we do that, um, Rick, welcome back. Thanks. It's good to be back. I think I'm back. Where have you been? I I know. I've been working. He works hard for the money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's nice to hear your voice. You know, you have a... you have like a a saucy. I don't know. It feels like you would sing in a soprano. I like you're the soprano. I'm the baritone, and Sean's the bass. You know, we just need a fourth. At least I'm not the alto. Uh, <laughs> I've been I've been busy uh, collecting those Lorcana cards that are going around. Those Disney Lorcana cards, you know, playing oh, no. playing Albion online. So, yeah. Hey kids, you want to buy some Lorcana cards? <laughs> no, I I I I I, I want to buy them off them. I want to take them away yeah. and keep them for myself. <laughs> Dude, yeah, buy those, sell high. I'll say as a as a former rec- as a recovering uh, trading card game player. I mean, I I must have played like eight or nine trading card games, uh, Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh, and Magic all uh, as well. And I spent crazy amounts of money. I had um and time, of course. You know, I traded for a bunch of stuff. I had uh, seven of the nine Power Nine cards in Magic: The Gathering, and um, then my cousin, who was twelve years old, stole them and sold them for weed. And I quit. <laughs> That's what made me quit. My cousin <laughs> stole my best cards and sold them for weed. Do you still talk to said cousin? I do. I do. Benny, if you're listening to this, I'm not mad anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but he probably still smokes weed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he probably does. He's no, actually issue, extremely in shape, too. The The issue with Lorcana cards is that um, they're so high in demand and, the, and the, um, it's so short in supply that no one sells at a retail. And yep. so like, for example, as, as telling Andrew yesterday, these, these starter boxes that, that cost are supposed to cost like $16. Mm-hmm. Um, they're online. Like you can't find them anywhere. If you can, the store itself isn't selling it for $16. They're selling it for 20 to $30. And then if you go online, like to eBay or something to try and find them, they're going for like 30, 40, 50, $60. Yeah. Um, just because the supply is so short. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's, it's it's crazy because there's there's this insane level of demand. Um, you've got a lot of players that used to play games like Magic: The Gathering and you know whatever Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh, you name it, and um, uh, or in my case, WoW trading card game, Warlord, Magi Nation, and all the others that have long died um, that are still collecting dust somewhere um, in my house. But um, Lorcana is it's Disney themed, and there are so many Disney fans out there. That regardless of what Disney is doing in the box office, have such fond memories of things like Aladdin, Winnie the Pooh, um, you know, Mickey Mouse and and all of that. And um, the game itself is 
it, it's crunchy enough that people can uh, jump into. And one of the biggest turnoffs uh, with any trading card game, and really, I think the biggest barrier to to get over for like the general market is, um, why would I play this when I could just play Magic? Because Magic is much larger and more capable. They're going to have more cards. There's going to be more support. And if I want to find somebody to play Magic, it's really easy. Um, Lorcana, I think, answers all those questions. And it it uh, I have no I in fact I would doubt if they are profitable right now. But um, they are like aggressively growing and investing into uh, the player base and whatnot. And there are a lot of people that are. Um, that are just jumping on board that like don't have that normal hang up. They see a future for, Hey, Lorcana is going to get support over the long term, And um, so it's just like a thing. It's definitely an immediate lifestyle game. I think that they're doing all the right things. They're investing into um, like convention presence and probably doing tournaments and like local tournament scene with, um, you know, I, that's where I think magic is far ahead is they, like the magic magic players are not going to quit magic to switch to Lorcana un- unless Lorcana has like, you know, there's Friday night magic magic dominates Friday nights for, you know, every single nerd that plays. Um, and there's no way Lorcana is going to take over maybe Saturday night Lorcana or something eventually. But I, I think that it's, it's a long road for Lorcana to actually overtake magic. I mean, popularity wise, it's like, it's like Pokemon, just people want to collect the cards. And honestly, when I saw the little Winnie the Pooh wizard, like the honey wizard card, I wanted a big art piece of that. Like that's <laughs> Ma- Magic's like the uh, uh, back in the old days when the old people would sit around the table and play like gin rummy or whatever. That's what magic feels like to me these days. It's, just, it's, it's a steadfast and true game that's been around for a while. So people are comfortable with it. That's like sort of like the, the, the young, I, I want to say kids version of poker, but uh, plenty of adults play it. So I guess it's, uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. but I think, yeah, if, if you compared it like a, as an MMO magic's like the world of Warcraft. And then of course uh, you got, you got Lorcana which is the uh, final fantasy uh, coming into play. and going to take over maybe. Um, yep. But yeah, it's uh it's a very interesting game. I, I haven't fully, I haven't played Magic in a while, so I can't compare the two. However, Magic is uh, in a lawsuit with uh, uh, Ravensburger that makes Larkana over. Um, I don't know. I guess it's they're saying it's too similar, but um, it's hard. Oh, to, is that right? Yeah, oh. it's hard to. It's hard. The lawsuit's interesting because I mean, from what I what I understand is you can't really sue against mechanics. There's a lot right. of like, you know, Pokemon uh, alternative games out there that are like practically identical, mm-hmm. except for things have been changed. They use different artwork, of course. Can't can't use the same artwork. And instead of a Pokeball, it's like a Pokey card or you know, it's <laughs> it's just they just change the things and it's fine. But I believe one or two Digimon, people, go. Yeah, yeah. I believe one or two of the people on the main team came from Magic the Gathering. Um at least yeah. I think the producer did and somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and I think Upper Deck Entertainment is suing because there's uh, the designer of it. This is where I think it has the holds the most water is that the designer of um, Lorcana came from Upper Deck Entertainment, and Upper Deck is claiming that he made Lorcana. Uh, at, you know, it was it was it just was rethemed into um, Disney, but that it was already an existing game that that he had been working on at Upper Deck Entertainment which would make it upper decks property. And that's, I don't know, that's going to be really hard to prove, but um, it's a, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a a curiosity at the very least, but I am sure that anything popular is going to draw haters. You've got uh, Hasbro behind wizards of the coast now, and they have attorneys on retainer that are getting paid anyway. They're either getting paid to sit on their butt or they're getting paid to work. Right. So um, might as well try to slow down the competition. Speaking of haters, uh, how about that uh, BGG hotness list where Deliverance is number one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's worth talking about. Um, to, so yeah, as, uh, as of the day of this recording, we're recording on uh, Thursday, the 14th of December. This is the seventh day that Deliverance has been number one on the hotness list. And it's uh, it's been it's interesting because the uh, we, we ran a contest for BoardGameGeek and our contest ended on December 10th. Um, I will say for anybody considering board game geek ads, a contest 
is expensive. It's like $1,600 or something. But the reason that you would run a contest is specifically to rate, to increase in the hotness list on board game geek. Um, you know, you, you'll have to send out games and other things like that to contest winners. But, um, if you hit number one on board game geek, then you're going to, um, you're going to make a substantial amount of uh, money, uh, attention and all of that, or, or, you know, we'll say attention and whatever that leads to. Right. And uh, in the case of deliverance, I mean, we sold probably, you know, maybe uh, but somewhere between 100 and 150 games um, just on our website. And then we've sold another 50 games on Amazon. And it's been uh, it's been really great um, for, you know, for sales and, and that kind of thing. And it's also at a really good time of the year because December is when people are buying things right for Christmas and their mindset is is, is that way. So, um, you know, that's that's pretty cool. And I've learned that you know we started out initially with a and we kind of reviewed this on last our last podcast episode um we started out with the contest we talked about what you know kind of how you rank number one on board game geek and it's generally from activity a change in activity not from overall activity um that's you know that would be uh for example heat pedal to the metal that's number two they have like fifteen thousand ratings and um two thousand comments on their rating system and whatnot and Deliverance has almost 400 ratings now. And um, it's just, you know, there's no competition. Heat is much more widely available and has been out longer and, and all of that. And, uh, but uh, the, the, the amount of activity on Deliverance has really spiked. And that has caused a lot of, uh, a lot of shifting in the, in the algorithm. So Deliverance hit number one on the 8th of December. I think that's when it, that's when it hit. And um, the 14th of December, is it's still number one. The contest ended on the 10th. And so the question is how in the world have we remained the first position on hotness for four days after that? Um, and I think that there are a couple of reasons. Number one, the, um, and maybe, you know, I guess we can always revisit this with the lens of the scientific method on it, but um, the scientific method aims to understand why. Why does something work as it does, right? And so um, the uh, the board game geek hotness, I think, is most affected by comments and thumbs. And uh, so you can you can actually thumbs up a post or a comment um, and activity like talking about a particular game. So, uh, for example, we had a thread that uh, somebody was, you know, decided our advertisement that we used for board game geek was poor. And it was low quality or whatever. And the reason they decided that was because it had it. You couldn't tell what game it was for. It had Sam Healy's beautiful Viking face and <laughs> an 8.8 rating and uh, a cool image and Sam Healy saying two thumbs up. Um, but you didn't know it was for the game deliverance. And so uh, this person uh, wrote a or created a forum thread and kind of ranted about, you know, that this advertisement's a bad advertisement. Why are they making this? And it's actually was uh, overall, I mean, that individual ad was twice as effective as BGG average. And our overall campaign was like 260% as effective as BGG's average, uh, you know, as far as clicks um, was, which was really cool. But that thread had like a hundred comments on it and it just blew up. And the person tagged deliverance as a, as a board game, like as a thing on board game geek, which you can do. And um, it just, it just exploded. And so, all of those thumbs and all of that activity was credited to deliverance. And that's what caused us to go from number. I think we peaked at number three in the hotness because of our contest. And then it, it, it we hit number one uh, because of that. And I, I imagine page views have something to do with it as well. Right. Cause I think a lot of people haven't heard of deliverance before. So mm-hmm. what's this new game that's you know on the top of the hotness and then they're, they're checking it out mm-hmm. and then probably interacting with the page. Yep. Andrew, do you have any information on how many page views your deliverance profile is getting each day? Yeah, actually, that is something that you can check. So uh, for everybody that, that might not know, you can go to a board game. So like I'll, I'm on board game geek right now, I'll click deliverance. And then you go to, uh, there's this, this kind of sub menu that's like overview, ratings, forums, et cetera. You, there's a more button. You hit that more button and you can see stats. That's on mobile. I believe stats on desktop is just is just there. Um, and then you can see all of your stats, your average rating and whatnot. Um, but page views is actually a, a stat that you can see. And uh, before we started, rather, I want to say the first day of the hotness, um, I looked and we had 119,000 or 118,000 page views. 
And each day after that, um, I, I looked and I actually took a screenshot on my phone to see what the page view increase was. And um, we earned, so kind of a cascading from high to low, we earned like 11,000 page views the first day we were on the hotness list. Went from like 118,900 and something to 130,000 and something. And um, we're currently at oh, just about 165,000 uh, page views. And um, we are earning between like eight to 10,000 page views every day. So it's, it's a really significant number. Um, and that's just for our BGG listing. We're getting a lot of, we've had orders from um, retailers that wanted a hundred units. We had uh, orders from, you know, just over a dozen orders every day on our website, which is really cool. Um, a bunch of orders on Amazon um, and, and that kind of thing. So it's definitely making an impact um, and, uh, you know, feels, feels kind of good. But then, of course, it brings out all the trolls. And then have you been seeing a, uh, so alongside tracking the page views of the Board Game Geek page, have you seen an increase in traffic to the actual website of Deliverance? Yeah, there's definitely an increase in traffic um, to the website. The um, I'll, I would have to look it up in a, which I could do in, in a little bit. But um, there are a lot of people that are going there. Um, we also because it's December, we increased our you know holiday shopping season. We increased our advertising spend, and uh, I, I could talk about that a little bit too. But basically, the short version is Board Game Geek and Facebook are effective. I, we tried uh, Twitter, we tried Gab, we tried a couple of others. Um, that I are slipping my mind. Uh, but my, my feedback is that Google shopping, um, of course, Google organic, um, Facebook ads, uh, and, um, working geek ads are effective. We actually ran Amazon ads too, because we're, our product is on Amazon. Uh, we did a hundred bucks a day on Amazon and the only sales we made were from, uh, we just did an automated campaign to see kind of how they would place us and that kind of thing. Um, in the realm of board games and, and whatnot. And the only sales that we actually made are people looking for deliverance board game, deliverance game, you know, stuff like that. So I was like, why am I paying a hundred bucks a day for people that are already looking for my thing? Um, it's just, you know, there's, there's no, I, I don't know. It's like there, there was no real movement on that either. So I'm sure that we can make Amazon ads work. Uh, it's just, they, they didn't work for me right now. It's like, why am I spending a hundred a day? when I could just not spend a hundred dollars a day and get the same results, you know? And that's, I think where the, you know, um, I don't know, a little bit of analysis comes in and a gut feeling as well. There's kind of both combined. Yeah. I think the only reason why you need to bid on your own brand is if someone else is marketing against your own brand. I mean, yep. if you go on to like Google, uh, target mm -hmm. and Walmart are always advertising against each other. So like you'll type in target and you'll see the first yep. thing is Walmart. You type in Walmart, mm -hmm. the first thing you see is Target. And that, that <laughs> makes sense. But if people are looking for you, yeah, there's no point. Um, yep. But back to the BGG ad, um, the, the the reason why it was <laughs> – the guy the guy that was complaining about the problem with the ad was the reason why the ad was so successful. I yeah. mean, literally, um, you look at the ad and it trains users like – It's like, it yeah. like, oh, this is really great. This guy you know, got some really good thumbs up, blah, 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 really cool artwork. Well, let me click on it and see what it is because it doesn't say what it is. And that's the whole point of the ad is to get someone to click on it and see what you got to offer. And I yeah. guess that guy didn't take marketing 101 or marketing 99 because uh, that was the whole point. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> but, but with him complaining about it and making that big thread, that just made it even better. Yeah. And my favorite, my favorite single post was how somebody recommended uh, the crowdfunding nerds to uh, that original poster. I was like, you know, you should tell them about this great advertising agency called crowdfunding nerds. And, um, you know, it was very, it was very funny, but yeah, I mean the, in the end, the ad was very effective, but, uh, but it wasn't the only ad we made either. So what, uh, so we have a, now a strategy for BGG where we'll design five completely different ad, uh, styles for each of their, you know, so we'll, we'll take five different styles. So one was the Sam Healy quote, and then we, another one was like the deliverance box. And then another one was like the deliverance minis and we'll, or, you know, so that we did five different kinds and we applied, uh, those styles to like all the different ad sizes. So you have a square size for board game geek. You have like a mobile header, a desktop header that are of varying sizes. So, uh, we just found ways to make those work. And so we did, and it ended up being like 25 or 30 ads and, um, 
we just let them go. And Board Game Geek uses um, Google, uh, what is it called? It's like a Google AdSense, I think is what it is. Um, it's, it's been so long since I've, since I've used that. But um, Google AdSense automates the ads trying to get, or, and it shows the ads more often that result in clicks for, um, uh, you know, and so the of the five ad styles, that one had the highest click-through rate. And so it happened to show the most often. And because it had the best results, it showed the most often, it drew the ire of that troll. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't even call him a troll. I would just say, you know, customers often don't understand and they often feel that, or, you know, just people in general, even people listening to this podcast and even the three of us, we have our habits and oftentimes, you know, people that are more savvy will try to avoid getting advertised to. And so some people commented on the post and said, oh, well, I use an ad blocker and, um, you know, other things like that. And uh, the vast majority of, you know, the traffic on the internet does not use an ad blocker and they look at ads. So um, it's a, a curious thing. You know, people are all trying to understand why, what's going on. And, and so, um, but yeah. So with all that being said, let's now move into the scientific method and how we can troubleshoot our marketing efforts. So Andrew, what did you have on, have on your mind when you thought of this topic? Yeah. So um, the scientific method is kind of a well-known methodology for testing things um, popularized by, you know, very uh, amazing scientists like Galileo Galilei and Isaac Newton and, and all of the names that we know um, it, it starts with. So the, the, uh, and this is just from memory. I probably should have Googled it before, but from memory, you start with a hypothesis. That means you come up with an idea that you think is correct and, or maybe something that you think is true or false, whatever it is. And then what you have to do is you have to design an experiment to um, kind of figure out if you're right or not. So you come up with a hypothesis, you figure out how to, you craft an experiment, you run that experiment, you test and measure and observe what's happening. And then you uh, you analyze the results and figure out if your hypothesis was true or not. Um, so initially, the very first hypothesis I ever made, um, and the one that I always assume for any game that comes to our desk is, people don't want this game. And you have to experiment, right? And that sounds like a cruel uh, thing to say to any of our clients. But you have to uh, experiment to say, is this true or is this not? Or in fact, if we just did the opposite and said, people do want this game, you still have to test to see if that's correct or not. So um, hopefully you're not using your first test uh, with, you know, by running Facebook ads. You should be playtesting your game and running games at conventions and other things like that so that you can build an audience. If you can build an audience for a game, then it's, it's clear that people do want your game. Right. And so, um, you know, something as simple as that, but for, for ads, um, there was, so there was a client that I had one time called TV ears. They were a big, um, kind of an as seen on TV product. And I, they were, we had them for just o over five years until they did like a big restructuring thing. And, um, you know, when you bring in a new president, a new, uh, marketing director, they bring in their vendors. And so that's where, um, our relationship, uh, eventually ended. But, um, the, they they had like this very very sophisticated um, system that would bring in customers and kind of upsell them and retain them and and that sort of thing. So I was responsible for marketing uh, for running Google ads. Basically, what it boiled down to, we would run crazy amount of Google ads, uh, you know, budget, and I would always be asked really hard questions. I mean, they were really looking at their numbers and they wanted to know why did. Why did our cost per click increase by two cents um, from this time to this time when during the same period last year, it was, you know, eight cents lower or whatever. It, it, they're hard questions that just don't have a simple answer. And one thing that you can never do with a company like this, you can't just uh, rely on their ignorance either. You know, a lot of marketing companies will rely on people's ignorance um, to kind of just say, oh yeah, well, it takes time or whatever. I'm sure Rick, you are probably, you know, all familiar with that as, as the SEO guy, but, um, you know, people give all sorts of excuses, but in, in actuality, when you have an educated customer 
you need to be able to provide answers. And the only way to provide answers, sometimes the answer is, I don't know yet. And uh, you never want to say that as a marketing professional, that you don't know why something is happening. Um, so instead of ever saying that, I always um, am like, right, I'll, we'll figure it out. I'll get back to you in you know a day or two or whatever. And so the way that I solve problems, the way that I work through these problems is I use the scientific method. I come up with, um, so we have the hypothesis of like, you know, the, the cost per click increased by 50%. Um, I think it's because time of year or whatever. Um, and then you do your testing and experimenting, you know, all of your data that you've been recording, everything that's been going, that's your, you've been testing, you've been measuring, you need to analyze that, that information. Um, and I think one of the most important elements we should probably talk about is how to eliminate variables from, so that, so that the information is true. Um, have you, have you guys ever heard of causation does not equal correlation? Do you guys yes, know well, that? that's exactly what I wanted to, um, to talk about, <laughs> uh, because I think. You're going to talk about ice cream and shark bites? <laughs> well, that's, I was talking a little bit about logic because I think you often see this in the scientific community is that you have a lot of people very capable at doing scientific research and actually doing the, the work and get, getting results and producing the data. But then when it comes to their conclusions or interpreting that data, it can mm -hmm. often fall short because they're not logicians and it's, not, it's a different skill set that you, you need to produce mm -hmm. information and actually to process that information. Where yep. you often see in the scientific community and as I suppose in, even in marketing, it's a logical fallacy known as affirming the consequent, um, which is it's, it's essentially it's, it's kind of like this uh, misinterpretation of the scientific method. So um, I'll include a link in the show notes, but essentially it goes that if P then Q, Q therefore P. So an example listed on this website, which I think it does a good job of explaining this, is mm -hmm. if taxes are lowered, I will have more money to spend. I have more money to spend, therefore taxes have been lowered. You know, you yeah. can be, it's a system where you can, it sounds scientific, but you could actually use it to prove anything. You'll be very mm -hmm. careful of that. It's like, oh, if, if this is the case, this will happen. And then you, you could just look at the data. It did happen. Therefore, I'm, my theory is true. Theory is upside down. Yeah, yeah. So you can prove anything using that, that method. You just got to be a bit got careful it. with that, where you can sort of, uh, come to the information with a preconceived idea and then you can read it into the data and then you can make it say whatever you want. <laughs> I'll give you a, an example. So the, the ice cream and shark bites analogy is probably the, the most common, um, because it's also the most fun. And it's on t-shirts everywhere and everything too. So if you ever see uh, a t-shirt with sharks and ice cream on it, then you'll know what it is that I'm talking about. So the idea is that uh, causation does not equal correlation. Um, correlation, what that word means is that two things are highly re are related. There's a, you know, they could be, you know, there could be a low level of correlation or a high level of correlation, which means that, you know, if there's a high level of correlation, it means that when one thing increases, the other thing increases proportionately like a lot. So during the summertime, um, there's more ice cream that's consumed because it's hotter. And um, it also happens that there are more shark bites that um, occur in the summertime, and uh, which, is, which is fact because more people are in the water. Uh, but the uh, incorrect, so they, they are both correlated, but one doesn't cause the other. So uh, sharks aren't attracted to ice cream. They are not, it's like 0%, uh, like drink, eating ice cream does not cause shark bites. Uh, Richard. Have you not, have you, have you proved this? Cause you know, I, if you eat ice cream, it probably makes you sweeter. <laughs> you know what? I mean, maybe there, make there's it like taste a low level of correlation there. I don't know. It makes you sweat more and then it makes you sweat. Sweat, sugar, sugar, sweat. Yeah. But you know, the, the idea is that, Hey, in summertime, more people are playing in the water in the ocean and that you know, where the sharks live. And that's why there are more shark bites. And during the summertime, it's hotter. So more people are eating ice cream. And so it just so happens that both of those things increase. Um, and so I'll give you an example that was really, that actually saved me thousands of dollars this week. That's, that's kind of why it started to, to, you know, this whole um, concept. The, um, so we, we, found so we were spending a hundred dollars a day on facebook ads for deliverance and we would make anywhere from like five to eight sales a day um our ads were doing well but i was i was curious you know i wonder how much of those sales are straight from people talking about the game and how many of those sales are from people that saw the ad and bought the game 
So um, I've done a lot of research and a lot of work over time to figure out what the customer's buying process is like. And I'll say that the most interesting question that has earned me the greatest amount of data that I can actually uh, use to analyze this is um, when somebody jumps on our Discord server, I say, you know, I tag them and I say, welcome, how did you hear about deliverance? And then somebody will say Facebook ad or whatever. Other times they'll say, oh, I found an ad like three weeks ago and I went through every single YouTube video you ever had and I went through every single review and I zoomed, I paused the videos and I zoomed in and I looked at every picture and I wanted to see this, that, and the other. And they'll, they'll give like extremely detailed results. I've had uh, a ton of people or uh, answers and I've had a ton of people give me um, this type of information. And so my kind of conclusion um, that, you know, something that I learned was that the buying cycle for deliverance, when somebody first learns about it, they either snap purchase it right away or they go through like a two to three week long period of learning about it and trying to study it and saying, is this what I hope it is? Um, and they just consume a ton of content. I think that it's going to be really, really great when we have all of our reviewers um, sharing, you know, and um, hopefully uh, they, they like the game and everything. But um, that's going to be a place that all of those people go to learn more about the game, you know, just reviewers on YouTube. And so um, whenever they finally get around to um, uploading those videos, it's going to make a big difference, I think. But uh, the the way that I saved thousands of dollars was I'm like, hey, it's buying season and we're making these, you know, five to eight sales. What if I just tripled the budget? And instead of spending a hundred bucks a day, I spent 300 and then, uh, you know, let's spend 40 on Twitter every day, 40 on gab ads every day. Let's spend a hundred on Amazon and, and whatever. And I ran this, this experiment and I did not see the sales jump to a level that would have, would have made it clear, you know, the whole correlation equals causation. Like there was, you know, the, the, the amount of sales that increased were not proportional to the amount that I increased the the ad budgets. And it's not a, you know, if I'm spending four or $500 a day on ads, it's not a sustainable number for a long period of time. And so I figured out over, you know, using, trying to eliminate variables um, of why are people buying what, you know, maybe uh, in each individual thing, what are like Amazon, for example, People are buying on Amazon. How are they buying on Amazon? Oh, they're searching for my keywords, and therefore I don't need to spend a bunch of um, a bunch of money there. And then are people finding us through Twitter? I'm asking our audience, like, how did you find us? Every single time, Facebook, Facebook, Board Game Geek, Board Game Geek, you know, and never, ever once did I hear Twitter or Gab. Um, and so I, I just cut them. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. well, let's not spend a boatload of change um, where we don't have to. What's well, interesting because I think both of those two platforms you mentioned, Twitter and Gab, sort of have a reputation of having lots of bots. So mm-hmm. it's even hard to determine are you even getting legitimate traffic from those ads? Right. Yeah. It's it was curious. You know, I I had um uh, uh we ran an advertising campaign on Gab a long time ago, just a small one, and actually got decent results. About fifty percent. Um, or I'm sorry, fifty cents per click. Uh, but it was decent. We reached a new market. We we definitely had backers. Uh, I think it was at the time we were running our Kickstarter campaign. And so we had backers that found us from Gab. Um, and that was cool. And then this one, we had a, a different ads that we ran. And it was like $1.50 per click. It was a really low click-through rate comparative to what we had before. Our click-through rate was like double. And um, granted were you that- targeting, was- While we were talking, like were you targeting people only in the U.S.? Um, actually there was, so yes, there was a, we ran two campaigns. One was us only. Um, actually both were us only. So it could have been time of year. You know, that's definitely a variable that, that, um, you have to account for. Uh, but I just, we didn't get any really any significant results from it, you know? Yeah. I think on those platforms, Twitter and uh, Gab or anyone, any platform that you think there might be a problem with bots, the the part of the way to set up the ads is to target only mobile devices because I think it's a little bit harder for bots to under fake mobile devices. This is my theory, mm-hmm. but I think that's probably a good place to start. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that uh, it, you know there are there are also a lot of tools out there that can help with the um, you know kind of eliminating those bots, right? 
Um, yeah, well, one so, thing we do with Facebook is how we how we combat this is if, the, if there are fake accounts because there's going to be fake accounts on on, on everything. Mm-hmm. Is that we exclude everyone who's been to the landing page, so we exclude uh, page views, and this is where if mm-hmm. a bot is clicking an ad, it's only going to happen once, and they're going to be excluded. So that's kind of mm-hmm. how we f- combat that with Facebook mm-hmm. ads. Yeah, uh, but it, it's a problem that every social media site has. Yeah. Yes. Um. Now, you know, one other thing, I mean, there, there are a couple of things that I'd love to, um, to talk about, but, um, one of them is analyzing where are people coming from? How many people have visited our website as a result of, you know, whatever, um, ads or, you know, board game geek and that kind of thing. Uh, but the, the other thing is once you get them there, what are they doing? So are they, are they adding a product to their cart, abandoning their cart? I mean, it could be, in fact, I actually haven't looked at our abandoned shopping cart. I mean, there's so many things to do and I have a new baby and all of that, but like we, ha- we probably have a lot of abandoned shopping carts. We set up an abandoned cart system. We're using WordPress, um, but I'm actually not sure if any get sent out or not. I have no idea. Um, and it would be something that I, you know, I, I did everything I could up uh, with the time I had, uh, there's limited time, but. I mean, we could leave, we could be leaving another, you know, 40% of revenue on the table if our abandoned shopping cart's not working. Um, but then, you know, and, and what I'm kind of getting at is the win back mechanism. So like if somebody adds a product to their cart, but doesn't check out, then we have retargeting, you know, where they'll see a Facebook ad, a particular Facebook ad. And it, the goal is to show it to them as many times as possible. So the average uh, time people see that is like nine times. If you visit our website, you're going to see that Facebook ad, um, and and other things like that. But uh, but yeah, I think you know we talked a little bit ago about preparing for rain. I think that that's a really important thing. Sometimes people say, "Oh, well, ads don't work," and it's because they just they don't they they weren't prepared for traffic, right? And then, have you been able to look at the heat map where people are going on your site? No, so we there is a uh, a website called hotjar.com and um I it's a a pretty cool tool but it is like a visual heat map of where people um sc- how people scroll what they do with their mouse kind of you know hovering their mouse on your on your website where they click where they pause scrolling and where they look uh it's really really kind of fascinating um I haven't done that yet um part of the reason for that is just because I don't think that I could do anything with that information anyway. So it's like information overload. It's like, all right, we did our, we designed our site the best we could, the best we knew how. And now we just have to kind of let it ride. And then we'll look, we'll look back and then we'll analyze the data and figure out how to make it better for next time. You know? So, and I think, you know, part of the, I guess part of what, what advice I would give to others that are listening to this is um, you should absolutely Give yourself a break on not being perfect. Uh, I think perfect is the enemy of good. So figure out what you can control. Work to make it better in regard to whatever your level of expertise is. I mean, if you're not a professional website designer, you're not going to make a professional looking website. I mean, you could do your best at it. But, um, you know, if you don't have, let's say, the budget to pay someone to do that, then make the best website you can. and you know, be okay with the results, maybe, um, you know, if you've got the budget and you're not investing, then I think that that's a different type of problem. I like Hotjar. Uh, another Microsoft actually makes a similar program as well. And it records every single person that goes to your site and exactly what they do. And they offer it's free for so many visitors. And after that, they start charging. Cause I mean, recording a video for every single person is crazy. Yeah. And, but I guess the point I'm trying to say is, you can analyze something to death. Like you can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper in your analytics, but mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a point where you see, say, you know what? I need to yeah. stop that and focus on actually, uh, <laughs> actually getting things done besides analytics. Yeah. Um, yeah, you'll be like yeah, Russell Crowe from a beautiful mind. It's yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like going to the grand Canyon and looking down and just keep going and going down. Um, like yeah, I have the, I have the chance to do that too, for some place sites. I have to stop myself because if you just, keep going and going and going and then you start making second guesses on things and then it just becomes a mess so yeah, yeah anal- analytics can be crazy if you if you go too deep uh, so a nice general 
a, gen- a general mm-hmm. sense of like, is this page working well? You could tell by, you know, if they, if they buy the product from that page. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's an easier thing to look at. Keep it, yep. keep it simple. Um, and then go from there. Now, if it's not working, then maybe you can dig deeper, but I wouldn't dig deep unless you have a major problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, di- I guess, uh, try to fit within your, uh, uh, like your level of competence as far as understanding of ads and that kind of thing. I mean, if, if certain numbers or uh, stats just don't make, if you don't know what they are, then the variable is you, <laughs> you know, your understanding is, is a variable. So eliminate that variable by only working on things that you have understanding. Um, and if you need, then gain understanding, you know, I mean, take our crowdfunding nerds marketing course that will help you. Um, you know, if, uh, if you are lacking understanding in how to manage your own Facebook ads and you really want to, you need understanding. And I mean, you can't just fill your head with whatever's on YouTube. I mean, everybody is an expert and everybody's going to tell you what to do and that kind of thing. But I think, um, you know, it can be a lot of just garbage information. That's not very helpful. So, um, I would say that, you know, you being a, a quote unquote, a variable, is is something that um you should try to remove from the equation. So start with simple things, you know, am I am uh number I mean for me it always starts with a vision like you know I want to uh, so we hit number 4 on the hotness list of board game geek like 2 years ago uh during our Kickstarter and it was my vision to hit number 1 one day. I want to be the f- number you know the hottest game on board game geek one day. And we, we managed to achieve that goal. We've, we've earned seven days of uh, number one hotness. I know we'll fade eventually, uh, maybe even tomorrow. But um, my, my next goal is I want to be, um, I want to be there permanently. You know, I, I mean, maybe that's not the next goal, but who knows? Maybe five years from now, people will say, oh yeah, that, that extremely strong IP deliverance. Um, of course, it makes sense that, that it's here. Right. And, uh, I don't want to, or I, you know, and it's, it's okay that we're a flash in the pan right now of, of success, but we're going to be more consistent five years from now. We're going to get a lot of people that are like, what is this game? You know, like right now, people are probably asking if you're on, if you're a regular board game geek user, there's a game called heat pedal to the metal that is just going gangbusters. It's like, what is this? And I'm sure that they didn't just all, you know, release it and it just was really popular and, they made a bajillion units, but they worked hard to make that thing a success. And if you heard their story, it wouldn't just be a simple, oh, yeah, I made this game and everyone liked it. So I printed a billion units and um, and it just sold everywhere. Um, so, yeah. So I think I think start small with with vision is is important. Like know where you want to go, but then be able to identify the next step. You know, the next step is the most important step. You need to make sure that you're stepping in the direction of the vision but that the step is not like too big, you know, you don't want to, um, or it doesn't require all this crazy expertise. Like you're not black Panther. You're not going to be able to, you know, step through like a laser maze or something, you know, uh, you might have to go around that. (laughs) You're not quite Catan yet. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And they've been on that hotness list for quite a long, long time. Yeah. Um, They're not on the top, of course, but I mean, over time, (laughs) they're still on the list. (laughs) Yeah. I think it has like a rating of six point something Catan does. And I'd be fine with that if I sold Catan's numbers, you know? Yeah. They're on the, I mean, yeah, Catan, well, there's 7.1. Yeah. And of course, all their expansions. And of course, now they have like a dice game. You can also play it online. They sell, you know, apps Mm -hmm. for it. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a loner, so I I play it online. Well, then, yeah. of course, then you got your IPs like uh, Star Trek, Catan, and yep. uh, there's been a few other ones out there. Doctor Who, or I don't know, something like that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll also say one thing that really helped me. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Sean reviewed Felicia Day's book, um, and he talked, and and there was a, a a chapter that discussed you are not your product, or you are not the thing you you made. So if people review what it is that you made harshly. That should have no bearing on you making things, um, but you should just exercise your full breadth of creativity without worrying about what people are saying about your product. And there are a lot of people who are voting, uh, you know, 
like rating deliverance on board game be 10 and nine and eight and, and everything in between those numbers, you, you can do that. Um, and commenting and saying all the things they like about it and the cons that they see about it. And, um, and that's really great overall. That's very positive, but it is so easy. Like we have 180 positive 10 out of 10 ratings and we have like 12, uh, one star ratings and eight of those have been trolls from, um, from this month because it hit number one hotness. And that is something that um, kind of, if you, it's really easy to focus on the negativity. And so you just have to, you know, I, for me, it's not, it's not something that I choose to focus on. I choose to focus on what is positive. Uh, I mean, it can just wreck you. The trolls can wreck you if you just give them time. Right. The the ones that irk me the most, are the ones that are like one, and then they don't even leave a reason. Like, yeah. Even if they said like, "Oh, I'm just doing this because I don't believe this," that makes more yeah. sense than just nothing. Because then, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't provide value to anybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, just just like Thomas Edison. I mean, what what do we know Thomas Edison for? Oh, the light bulb, you know, electricity. But he made like a thousand other things that either mm-hmm. sucked or don't no longer are pertinent today. Um, so I mean, it, everyone goes through their 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 things, and you know, you just got to keep trying and keep going. Um, and that's, that's what'll, we'll get you there. Um, yeah. it's, it's all about persistence, persistence, mm-hmm. persistence, persistence. That's the, that makes the difference between the people who succeed and the people who don't. So yeah, yeah you're going to have a rough start. You're going to have a hard time. You're going to get those people who are just going to give you a one, no matter what. I mean, you just gotta, you know, just acknowledge it and let it go and be like, oh, yep. you know, there's people out there who are going to be a one and that's okay. Cause you know, there's going to yep. be other people who are going to give me tens and it'll be all fine in the end. And. You know, I, I know what kind of product I did and made and how it's going to be. And, you know, I, I believe in it. And so, yep. you know, if you, if you put those, you know, thoughts inside you, as opposed mm-hmm. to letting others inf- influence your thoughts, then, then you'll be fine. Um, in yes. fact, uh, I mean, why, why don't you discuss, you probably discussed this many times, but why don't you discuss, uh, I mean, it's not ending with deliverance. I mean, right. it's not just the game. You have a whole, like, you know, plan on where this is going and, and everything else, you know, the future. And that's what, you know, like I said, it's persistence, you know, and of course, let's say your expansion comes out and you make an expansion and it comes out. Well, guess what? People who never played the game before see this and go, Oh, well, maybe Mm -hmm. I should check out the original game. And then all of a sudden you have more original game sales. And then let's say you start like a video game or something else. People will go on like, Oh, this is really cool. Oh, wait, they have a board game. Oh, let me check it out. You know, it's all, Mm -hmm. you know, success builds on success. And, and right. if you keep persisting in adding, you know, building to your product, you'll, 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 you'll figure out the things that didn't work out and you'll find the things that work. And then as you keep going, you keep improving and changing those things. Definitely. And, you know, in the end, it really does relate. You can relate this back to the scientific method and just say simply that negative trolls are a variable that I will eliminate. How will you eliminate the variable by not paying attention to them? Focus on what matters and the trolls don't matter. It's, I can promise you if you get popular and if you have um, uh, something that people like, you're going to have haters that just decide to go counterculture and say, oh, I hate this because everyone likes it. Um, it's just that's just kind of the way that some people are. And um, you'll have people that hate your game with the fiery passion of a thousand suns. And that's actually a good sign because if you have haters, then you've got people that are hardcore fans. And so for me, um, with deliverance, my initial hypothesis was that, well, I had to prove to myself that people even wanted this. So, um, some of you that know the story know that I, I, I built an email list. My goal was to build an email list of a thousand people organically without paying for, for ads. I, I went to some local conventions and I spent gas money to get there. Um, Rick, you were a part of the earliest convention at Kingdom Con, you know, it's earliest several when I first revealed deliverance um, to anyone on a cardboard, ugly looking paper prototype. And um, then uh, I talked about it a little bit on social media here and there. And we earned, you know, one person a day, one person a week to the email list. And finally, you know, I, it was, it was a year and I looked up and it was 1100 people on the email list. I was like, wow, these people are actually reading my emails and everything. And, uh, I, it was just, I mean, experiment complete. I analyzed and said, yes, people want this. And so we, we 
really started uh, moving hard. That was a really, really important experiment in the in, in deliverance that I can look back to and say, it's not because of ads that people want this, but it's just that people hear about it and they want it. And that's a that's super valuable for me to look back and say, yes, we did. We ran that experiment and we know that people want the game. The question is, what what other information can I add on to that that would build value? So, um, you know, other like where are we going to go uh, from here? Um, how are we going to do what it is that we do? What expansions are we going to make? What do the people want? Uh, my hypothesis is that people want more of the same thing. They want more missions, more uh, angels to play, more demons to fight, and and that kind of thing. Um, so how do you test and measure that, right? Uh, there are lots of ways. Um, number one way is ask your people. But when you go back to Kickstarter, um, you know, the, uh, I mean, there's, I guess that's where you finally get the result. Like, do people want more of your game? Uh, if the answer is yes, I mean, you, you, you're going to have lots of backers on Kickstarter. Um, if uh, so for me, I, I think, you know, kind of in my, my vision, I want, I just, you know, I don't want everything. I just want to be, uh, you know, bigger than Catan. I mean, that's, is that so much to ask? Um, <laughs> I think so. It so. might be, but, <laughs> but um, at the same time though, you know, you want to, it's all about perception. Like when you go on Kickstarter and you promote your game, and you get your sales, you're like, oh, you know, don't think that's it. That's not the mm-hmm. end of it. I mean, I mean, you did a really good job on Kickstarter. Uh, you did over $300,000. But then, of course, what happened after Kickstarter? You made mm-hmm. more sales because um, mm-hmm. you had another venue open where you had you were accepting pre-orders on various uh, various things and various ads. And mm-hmm. then from there, <clears throat> you know, you got your game and you started handing them out. And then you had extra games and then you put those for sale. I mean, and there's different markets and then. You know, it keeps going and going. It's not just Kickstarter. And that a lot of people think it's like, you know, I put it up on Kickstarter. Okay, I didn't get as well as I thought. That's it. It's over. Um, you know, and the Kickstarter is a big audience, but it's not your only audience. And, right. you know, 99% of people in the world don't go on Kickstarter. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, it might be I a think, little less than that. but <laughs> <laughs> I think like 5% of the board game audience is on Kickstarter. And they behave differently than the rest of the of the world. That's uh, that's for certain. Um, you know, it was, it was really interesting when we hit retail. Um, when I say retail, I mean we have our web store open. We do have retailers that bought, but we don't have major distributors that jumped in. We actually do have a distribution through Bridge, which is which has been really great. But um, for the most part, we're selling uh, like games off our website and that kind of thing. Very similar to Chip Theory games. Um, you know, it's kind of the model that I was thinking we would go for is that, you know, they've, they sell a lot of, a lot of things on their website. And, um, I really, really liked that. The, the reason I like it the most is just because I want to know who the fans are and I want them to be connected with me and I want to be connected with them. Um, I think that the only way that a game like this actually, uh, becomes a force to be reckoned with is if the audience is there and also if the demand is there. So, um, the whole concept between supply and demand, like if you've got a ton of demand and no supply, then you can satisfy that demand with Kickstarter. But if you've got a ton of supply and a decent amount of demand, and then you run a Kickstarter, you're not going to explode that Kickstarter um, because there's plenty of supply out there to satisfy demand. So when you launch your Kickstarter, there wasn't a ton of demand. Now, um, I, th- I think that uh, I'll make this kind of the final thing because we're we're reaching the end of the uh, podcast time. but when people run an expansion and, you know, back to scientific method experiment and, and all of that, the, the hypothesis that you are running is that people want more of this. The experiment it is oftentimes the first experiment that you have oftentimes is the launching of a second Kickstarter expansion. Um, and I think that that's a mistake. Uh, number one, if that is your first experiment, uh, you know, trying to answer the, your original hypothesis of um, people want more of this than that you could be surprised. I mean, there are a lot of expansions that don't make as much money as the original. And I think that that is, um, it's really sad when people did all this work and they put their Kickstarter out there and they found out that, you know, most of the demand was satisfied uh, with their first game. I think that it's a lot of the time, you you run into this uh this this issue 
when you launch an expansion, the moment you deliver a Kickstarter, like your first Kickstarter, you didn't give people enough time to actually play. I think that that is a huge problem um, on Kickstarter in general. And that's one of the reasons why even great Kickstarter games are a blip on the radar. If you want to have an amazing Kickstarter game that does really, really well, um, I know there are people listening to this that have their passion projects that really, really want this to succeed, to be their career or whatever it is. Um, you need to make sure that number one, after your game delivers, that people are playing it. I think that's the most important thing is that if, if there's demand, it's going, their first experiment can be, did people open the box and actually play? Um, and if not, like, how can we help people open the box and play, you know, how, you know, have rules teaching, um, uh, events on discord or wherever have, uh, game or have how to play videos out there, have all sorts of different, um, uh, different ways that you can get people to actually open the box. If, uh, you know, you have buzz where other people are saying, oh, this is so exciting. It's going to make people want to open their box. I know that it's, it's quite easy to, uh, to get discouraged as somebody that has a bunch of unplayed games on my shelf right now. It's, you know, I will open a game if I hear all of this positive stuff about it. It's like, well, what am I waiting for? I get so excited about opening this, opening this new box. Um, so I just, I feel like there are a lot of different things that you can do to kind of, uh, well, I guess apply the scientific method um, to grow your brand, to be more successful, to, to, to diagnose problems. And um, you know, it's uh, that's just a little bit, a little insight into how my brain works. You know, <laughs> I'm sure we could probably talk about each one of the elements of the scientific method on a podcast on its, on its own. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, what you discussed sort of reminds me of when I used to be a casino host. We used to have this little grid we used. I can't remember who who originated or created it, but it was a it was a grid, and it had a, an x axis and a y axis, and the um, the one corner was green, and it was pretty much it was one visit and or within one day visit, and how many how many times if I or yeah how many times they visit. Shoot, no, I can't remember. I can't say it right. It was how recently did they visit and how much money they spent? And if it was a certain um, like if they've recently visited within the last 24 hours, it'd be they'd be on the zero of the of the one of the accesses. And if they had a spent a certain amount of money, they would also be on the zero on the y-axis. That was the green mm -hmm. box. Mm -hmm. And that's where you wanted your casino visitor. You wanted them to come in within a certain time frame, and you also wanted them to spend a certain amount. And of course, as the grid expands and goes out. The color gets more and more yellow and gets to red. Um, you know, if they haven't been in your casino within, you know, seven days, that's not good. You want them at least seven minutes within three days. Wow. So it's a whole, it's a whole thing. But the idea is you can take a person and based on how many times they've been to your casino or, or sorry, when the last time they were at your casino was and how much they spent, you'd be like, Oh, okay. They're right here. How do I get them to move up just a little bit? It doesn't even have to be like, you know, you don't want, you don't have to give them the number one spot, but you want to move them up. And so, of course, you know, we would come up with things like, oh, this person likes to golf. Maybe I should call and say, hey, you know what? I got a, I got a tea time for you at your favorite, your favorite golf course or golf, uh, golf. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they call them these days. Not course, but golf uh, inside <laughs> golf the course. Hole. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we got a tea time for you. I'm not going to golf hole At our golf course in the casino, but you have to come on this day. So like, that's like, like that, that was a trick I used to do all the time is. I'd see people come in certain days, but they wouldn't come in other days. And so we try to get them to come in those other days. And sometimes they're like, well, you know, I'm working or I'm busy or I have other things. But if you can convince them, like if you sweeten the pot just enough, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, hey, you know, this person doesn't normally come on Thursday, but I was able to get them to book a tea time at our resort. And of course, you know, after they're done golfing, they're going to get a nice drink and then probably go play. And of yep. course, that's usually <laughs> what it was. And that's how we bump them up. You know, you do things like that to try to bump them up to the next step. Or you see what they're doing, and so that's sorry that that's a little off tangent, but that's what what you know what you were saying sort of reminded me of is you know you, you want to see you want to take things step by step, and you want to see what the next step is. So mm -hmm. if, you know if they're in a certain spot, because no one's like you said, you're going to have the trolls. They're going to be in the bottom, then the end. That's going to happen, and you're going to have the people at the very top. But actually, it's the people in the middle are the ones that you need to take care of because yep. they're on the fence of whether they want to buy the product or not. Or things like that. So if you can figure out how to get those people in the middle just up to the next step, 
then you're going to be doing great. That's a really good point. Um, and it's, it allows me in my head to turn, like it, it, it makes big problems smaller when you can segment and say, what is a little thing I can do to kind of chip away at this, at this overall challenge that I have, you know, I mean the, at the end of the day, or rather maybe at the end of the year, I don't know, before our Kickstarter happens, I want all of our games to be sold out. So we have around, let's say 1700 games across the world. I want all of them to be sold. And then I want more reviews to come out about deliverance. And I want people to say, Oh, this looks amazing. How can I get this? And I want them to see, Oh, it's only $250 on the secondary market. And then if enough of those people are excited about the game and really want it to, um, really want it to be on their shelf, launching a Kickstarter at that point will satisfy demand. And, um, and it, you know, if we make, so my goal is a million dollars for our next Kickstarter campaign. If we can do a million dollars, then I feel like more people are going to take us seriously. M- distribution will be uh, more interested in what we have. Um, we'll be able to show progression in, you know, from 300K to a million and, and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, our player base will, will be able to grow and all of, all of that. So that's kind of, our next step um, in our bid to take over the world. So, um, you know, <laughs> one thing at a time. Yeah. So, um, and who knows, you know, maybe we get halfway, you know, maybe we make 500 yeah. kit. I don't know. Yeah. As a side example, you know, um, I'm a very avid reader in, and I also listen to a lot of audiobooks at night and um, <clears throat> excuse me. A lot of times I'll go and find an audiobook, and then I'll look at it and I'll listen to it and then it runs out. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. But then mm-hmm. I look back and find out, oh, well, this person's on Royal Road. Now, I don't know um, if you're familiar with Royal Road or not in the audience, but Royal Road is pretty much, it's a website where people can go to and read serial novels, dramas, whatever. They have, you know, people will post a new chapter every week or every couple of weeks, and you know they start there. And then it's, a, it's great because it's free for the readers, and then, of course, well, for most most things. However, you know they have places where if you like it, you can actually, like, you know, donate and join Patreon and, and like, you know, and, and that gives the writers incentives and they'll give you like the chapters early. Or of course they have also like those that are really good and they want to like, you know, they'll give it, they'll give like maybe the first part of their, their, their story out for free. And afterwards you have to buy tokens to, to read the rest of it. But the only reason why I found these people is because they kept persisting and going down the track. So they started mm-hmm. on Royal road. And then eventually they got, it got so long and they got a good enough, they built their audience big enough and they kept wanting more that they decided and they wanted like, you know, audience likes to read, but sometimes someone wants a tangible product. So mm-hmm. of course these people have been reading on, on Royal road and they've really loved it. And they're like, Hey, are you ever going to release a book? So of course the next step is to get a book. And a lot of times that's a hard step for those people because they have to get an editor. They need mm-hmm. to rewrite it. Cause when they first started writing the story, it was, you know, this their writing skills weren't the same. So it wasn't as good as it is now. And so they had to, you know, have to go through and rewrite the story or maybe change the plot lines because they made some mistakes in their progression as they do these weekly, weekly chapters and it eventually becomes a book. And then they put it on Amazon or whatnot. And, you know, and then so, so someone who doesn't know about Royal Road or doesn't read on Royal Road goes on Amazon, goes, Oh, this is interesting. And they like it. And of course they read the book and then they want more. So then they go, mm-hmm. Oh, this chat, this guy's on Royal Road. And then, of course, they can go on Royal Road and read more on Royal Road until the next book comes out. And then, of course, yep. after that time, he gets the audiobook out. And then all of a sudden, you have another class of people who, who like, who like fiction, but may not be able to read or have time to read and allow them to just listen to it or like on the way on bus or, or at night when they're trying to sleep. And then, of course, now then you get another audience just like that where they, they'll listen to the audio and go, Oh, I'm out of the audio. Let me see. Oh, there's some books. Let me fish. Let me read these books that aren't on audio yet. And then, oh, I'm out of books. Oh, let me go back to Royal Road. And it's crazy because some of these ro- people who started on Royal Road, like when they first started Royal Road, they were nobody's, no one knew them. And then now all of a sudden, because they kept persisting and progressing and they were, you know, they're following what their audience wanted. You'd like go to their Patreon page and these people make like six, seven, $12,000 a month wow. on subscriptions for people who just donate because they just want the chapters early. Mm-hmm. It's, and that's all I <laughs> that's do is write. Awesome. I mean, literally one guy I saw had like, it was like $12,000 and I couldn't believe it. Like I mean, this guy is making $12,000 just to maybe write one or two times a day or, yeah. or sorry, one or two times a week. I mean, it's literally just like, whoa, that's and, amazing. but that's all about persistence and building your product. Mm-hmm. He started, you know, with growing a fan base and, you know, in this mm-hmm. case, you know, it's, it's your pre, it's your pre-marketing with Kickstarter. You, you start with ideas 
And then you put some mechanics together and you share with your people and that's your Royal road. And then from there, you know, you work your way up to your Kickstarter and that's you know, your product. And then from there you keep going and going. And there's a lot of audience that will never know your game or never see your game unless you go farther and beyond the Kickstarter. And, uh, you know, it's not just Kickstarter. Sorry. That's, that's my really tangent. interesting. I'm, I'm excited about this Royal <laughs> road website. <laughs> now, now I've got a rabbit hole to fall down. So, Oh man, it, there's novels that go on forever and it's, it's crazy. Um, well, this, this podcast has been a little bit long, but I, I hope you guys found it valuable and interesting. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, we're coming into uh, Christmas time. So I appreciate you guys um, having us in your ears. Um, hopefully there was something of value here that you got to glean from, from this uh, just discussion by marketing nerds about the scientific method and all, and, and using deliverance as, as an example, ice cream and shark bites too, of course. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, Rick, you want to send us on out? Yeah, that's 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 about it because that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. And of course, you know, if you're an avid reader and want to read something for free, check out Royal Road. But of course, you know, if you love us, you know, because we're just really cool people, um, check out our Crowdfunding Nerds website. You can check out the past episodes. You can also check out the courses we have to offer you to advertise and market your your successful Kickstarter. And if you can't get your Kickstarter successful enough. We also got a, another uh, some other programs that will help you become successful. So, as always, um, also our Facebook group is always kicking. Just, just go to Facebook and search Crowdfunding Nerds. I believe it's a community these days, Crowdfunding Nerds community. And if you want to check out all the really cool dramas going on BGG, do a search for Deliverance <laughs> on BGG because <laughs> it's pretty fun. <laughs> and the more the more drama and the more the more noise the the longer delivered stays on number one. And if you love us, you'll, you'll love deliverance. And we, we hope that you would support it in any way you can. And <laughs> with that said, uh, I hope you all stay cool. I know the snow is starting to come down in some of these places. Um, you know, love, love, be thankful for your family and who you got. And of course, Merry Christmas and that, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you have a crowdfunding question, we also have a page on our site where you can send a message directly to us. Please visit crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. And if your question is a great question, we may include it in a future podcast. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.